Good morning, everybody. Good afternoon to everybody on the East Coast. Welcome to Sidebar with John Duran. We've got a show today. We're going to talk about Transgender Day of Visibility this weekend. We're going to talk about fentanyl overdoses and harm reduction uh, in the LGBT community. We've got Dirk Daner coming in from the Tom of Finland Foundation. And then we're finishing up with uh, Eric Esquerdo, uh, a young millennial DJ in New York City, who loves disco, so therefore I love him. Uh, we've got James Wen in studio. James from the Transgender Advisory Board and you're at the LA Transgender Task Force, right, or something? The LA Transgender Advisory Council. Advisory Council, there you go, thank you. What is the Transgender Day of Visibility? Well, first, quick shout out to all of my trans and gender non-binary siblings across the nation here. Transgender Day of Visibility is a day to celebrate our trans voices, a day to celebrate our achievements, and to recognize those individuals that have been really out there serving community, lifting voices for the trans and gender non-binary community, as well as at the same time, we cannot forget that there's still discrimination that exists and that there's more work to do. Yeah, exactly. Now, this is different than T-Door. Everybody knows T-Door, Transgender Day of Remembrance, but it's such a solemn, sad day because we're remembering you know, people who've died of awful hate crimes. This day is different, though, right? It's more about trans activism and trans people in the community. What's happening? I mean, I, I think locally West Hollywood is having something Sunday, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. West Hollywood, home of LGBTQIA2 Spirit. All that, yeah. Uh, but this Saturday... I'm sorry, excuse me. This Sunday on March 31st, Transgender Day of Visibility from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., the Transgender Advisory Board in the city of West Hollywood are hosting a Transgender Day of Visibility Festival. Great. Where we're going to have uh, free tacos for the first 200 folks that come. Oh, that's not, this is at Plummer that's Park, at right? Plummer Park. Great. And uh, we're also going to have an open mic, again, to lift voices, but also poetry and song and dance. Uh, we'll have a live DJ spinning tunes, and there's also going to be a workshop uh, with regards to entrepreneurship. That's awesome. Are events like this happening all over the country this weekend, or is this just happening here locally? We have all over the country different Transgender Day of Visibility events. I looked at some of the cities that uh, this audience reaches, uh-huh. and many of them do have local events happening. So I encourage our community members to look up Transgender Day of Visibility. Uh, it's being celebrated from today, uh, March 29th, through March 31st, the official day uh, that's been marked. And to go and show up, turn out, and uh, celebrate. Celebrate our community members who are out there lifting up one another. And at the same time, let's remember that this is about your personhood and to show the true spirit of being yourself. That's awesome. So I'm always curious because, you know, and I should never ask questions I don't know the answers to. It's an old trial lawyer training, but why the last weekend of March? Why why March 31st for this day? Is there any reason in particular or it just worked good on the calendar before? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Guys, I'm fighting a terrible cold, and James just made me laugh. So that, that's cool, though. Right spring, before, so spring rising, right before Dinosaur Weekend, and right before the White Party. It's all good timing. Good timing. That's really cool. Well, that's fantastic. I know that city of West Hollywood. We fly the transgender uh, flag all year round. Uh, something Jeffrey Prang and I instituted many years ago to put the trans flags up there. And I know uh, that in West Hollywood, uh, we actually have 1% of our residents that identify as trans, which to me is an something. We actually got a, f- a number, <laughs> a number of people that we have enough to make 1% of the city transgender, which is awesome. We are definitely on the map. And I want to also add, at this Transgender Day Visibility in West Hollywood, we will be flying the gender queer flag, which is the lavender purple flag with white and oh. the hunter green. Okay. And uh, we really want to recognize and lift up our uh, gender non-binary, gender non-conforming 
brothers and sisters and siblings. Yeah, you know, the flag's confused. Gil Baker, who designed the original rainbow flag, was an old pal of mine way back when in San Francisco. And uh, and there are so many versions. And we've got a couple of versions of the rainbow flag here in the studio, and it's all very confusing to me. But, you know, I, I know Dirk Daner's coming in from the leather community later, and I think they even have a, a flag. Yes, they do. They got a, a black and blue flag, I think is what it is. I, I digress. But speaking of flags, really like to recognize... Uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi and members of Congress who have chosen to fly or show the transgender flag all throughout Congress uh, at their offices. That's great. Yeah, that's it's great. just fantastic. And that flag was designed by a transgender Navy veteran. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So if people are listening and they're in Southern California, they want to participate. Is there a website or something they can check out? City of West Hollywood has City something on there. City of West Hollywood, their... right on that website. Okay. Uh, Stonewall Democrats are hosting an event uh, tomorrow, actually, from 4 to 6 in Santa Monica. Okay, great. And uh, Virginia Delegate. Virginia's my home state. Ah, Danica's in town. Danica, Danica Rome. Rome is in town. Yeah, Danica, I so got to meet at the Victory Fund. She's incredible. Happy to welcome her. Yeah. Uh, if, you're not, if you're listening in, Danica Rome is the only openly trans member of the state legislature uh, anywhere in the country, and she's in the state of Virginia. And she defeated this uh, transphobic Republican who was the sponsor of the bathroom bill yes. in Virginia. It was like justice to have her defeat him. But she didn't defeat him on LGBT issues. She defeated him over high, highway repairs, is what I remember. Right. Yeah, right? An issue that was universal and important to everyone. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is which is really extraordinary. Yeah, I met her in D.C. She's really, really smart, and, and I hope she gets reelected. When she runs for office again, we've had um, you know Lisa uh, uh, Bloom, Palm Springs City Council member, open trans woman, not Bloom. That's not right. Lisa, I'm blank. Middleton. Middleton, thank you, Lisa. Our councilwoman Bl- from yes, Palm, Palm Springs. Springs. She's been on the show in the past, and she's doing incredible. And like, just like Danica, she actually got elected not on LGBT issues, but she got elected because she was all about housing in Palm Springs. That was her big burning issue. And I will even say for the uh, the uh, gay men and lesbians who have served on the West Hollywood City Council. None of us have ever gotten elected on LGBT issues, even though 40% of the population is LGBT. People care about traffic, traffic and parking and development and other you know, non-LGBT issues very passionately. Absolutely. <laughs> very passionately. Later that evening, so again, Saturday, November, uh, March 30th, the Human Rights Campaign is hosting their large yes, uh, dinner. Los Angeles Gala, right? Uh, Senator Kamala Harris and Senator Cory Booker and uh, gender non-binary performer um, Betty Who will be... Who? Betty no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I just uh, get you on that. <laughs> well, we've got less than a minute. Um, thank you for coming by, James. Thank you for uh, raising uh, awareness around Transgender Day of Visibility. I will see you. I will be there on Sunday, popping in for just a bit. Fantastic. Uh, thank so, you, John. I look forward for to support. seeing you on Sunday. Excellent. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. When we come back, we'll be talking to Mike Rizzo from the LGBT Center here in Los Angeles about fentanyl overdoses and other opioid problems and harm reduction. So stay Stay tuned uh, here on Sidebar with John Duran on Channel Q. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We are now uh, visiting with Mike Rizzo, who is the manager of uh, Addictive uh, Recovery Services. Yeah, Addiction Recovery Services. At the Los Angeles LGBT Center. Welcome, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Fentanyl was an op. The Los Angeles Times wrote an op-ed piece mm-hmm. about fentanyl. It's in the news. I mean, tell people who are listening around the country, what what is fentanyl? Yeah, what? so um, if you know, if I can start, like... In regards to what what why this became um, an issue at the center um, last year, actually in uh, April, late April, beginning of the May, we had one of our staff members that um, died from an accidental 
fentanyl overdose that was cut into his cocaine. And um, uh, this gentleman was not particularly a, a, a substance user, but it was someone's birthday, and they, a group of them, were decided that they would just celebrate with with a doing little, a line, doing a line right. or two. And there were actually four of them. Three of them died that night. Oh. And the fourth person woke up in the morning, thought everybody was asleep, went home, felt sick, and then went to the ER room, which probably saved his life, right? And so when this happened, it was really quite devastating to the center, and I started doing some research around it. And um, although it's a bigger problem on the East Coast, it's just now hitting the West Coast in a significant way. And um, actually, you know, some of the reporting is that the CDC has reported in 2016 that about 18,000 and uh, overdoses were a result of fentanyl. And so I got freaked out um, because it was pride season. And we were heading into Long Beach. We were heading into West Hollywood, you know, uh, Palm Springs, um, San Diego. And I'm like, oh, my God, all of these people who might be just casually using. And, and Lori Jean, the CEO, says, you know, just because you, you choose to party doesn't mean you should lose your life. You right, know? right. And so, and let's face it, LGBT community. There's a drug overlay. There's right, a drug right. overlay. You know, right. I, I'm, uh, I'm myself. I'm in a twelve step program, and mm-hmm. I don't, but I right. did. Right. I did. You know, yeah. and and uh, I think that, like you say, people may be partying with cocaine right. or meth, yeah. and what they're not realizing is it may be laced with or cut right. with right. fentanyl, right. which is a white powdery substance, mm-hmm. but is fatal. Right, right. I mean, it is. It's a hundred times more uh, powerful than heroin, and you know, if you, uh, if even if the first responders, if they feel like there's fentanyl present on the scene, <clears throat> they will go in in hazmat suits. What's it? You know? What's it doing in the cocaine or meth in the first well, place? So why it, is it there? Yeah. So uh, you know, um, it's to make the, the the drug more powerful. You know, make it make it a better high, um, as well as particularly with a stimulant. You know, with meth users, they have this sort of sketchy. Uh, nature and it sort of mellows that out a little bit, you mm-hmm. know. So uh, that's primarily the reason why it's in because it's on opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Where people that use meth or cocaine like to be stimulated, right? People that use opiates like to be down, you right? Know? Right. And so it, it's sort of like, well, that does, you know, and, and people choose the drug because that's the way they like to feel, right? So, um, it's just really interesting that, that, that it would be in there, but again, it's, it's sort of to make the, the, the product more. Uh, more powerful. Yeah, so, so it's wherever it's it's cooked or manufactured. Right, right. These are not always the best places, right? I mean, no. Yeah. I, well, you don't know what the dosage is, right? You know, right. Fent- fentanyl has has a, a it's 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 primarily in the medical industry used for pain, um, but the dosage is is far less than any. Uh, any dosage you would get on the street and so on. And um, it's really interesting because um, with heroin, the uh, intervention rate, excuse me, yeah, the the, the time you have to intervene on an overdose is one to three hours, right? With fentanyl, it's 45 seconds. That's crazy. That's, it's insane, right? So there's really, and and, and Narcan, which is the, um, the opiate inhibitor, uh, uh, the dose that would be effective for heroin may not be effective for fentanyl, and sometimes you need a couple of doses in order to intervene with that overdose. So. Okay, so if somebody has accidentally ingested right. fentanyl in right. their cocaine or their crystal mm-hmm. meth, what are the first symptoms that pop up? Right, so um, their, their, their body will be limp. Um, they might be unconscious. Um, kind of like they're going into a K-hole? Or like they're, uh, like... Yeah, I guess it would be similar to that. Their face will be pale. They'll be clammy. Um, they'll have a purple um, or blue color to their lips. So like um, they're not getting oxygen. They, so. Yeah, right. So it, 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 Exactly, right? So it's really interesting because there's something called the wooden lung, right? And people that are ODing on um, fentanyl, what happens is that the lung sort of it sort of replicates a block of wood, right? So even if you're performing CPR on someone, the oxygen's not getting into the lungs, you know? So again, it's just, it's, it's, it, it's really scary. So know? I get you call nine one one, but a first responder may not be there for three to five minutes. Right. What, what else can be done? Right. While waiting for first responders. Well, again, you know, um, and this is this is the other interesting part because I mean, if I'm using a stimulant, I'm not going to have Narcan available, Correct. right? You Correct. know, opiate users know 
that there's a potential that they could potentially ha- use more than, than right. they need or, or OD on it. So they might have Narcan with them. In fact, in our, our medically-assisted treatment program, um, which is dealing with the opiate problem, every time someone gets a prescription for buprenorphine, uh, they also get a prescription for Narcan, right? So they have it available on them if for some reason um, they decide to use heroin and, and so on. Um, so Narcan is the most effective way of intervening with the intervention. But again, if I'm using cocaine or or meth, I'm not I'm aware not that thinking. I'm not I thinking need to that, have Narcan. Right. Yeah. So yeah. then, what does somebody do? Just watch a friend die? Uh, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, again, because it's so powerful. Right. Uh, if you don't act quickly enough, you know, I mean, you could probably take them to the ER room or whatever. But I, it's just it. it you just have to be really careful. Okay. You know, so. so I mean, I, I guess one of the things that I just need to say is, okay, if you don't do cocaine or meth, you're never going to have this problem. But the reality is, there are people right. within the LGBT community that right. do party, right. uh, weekend partiers, cocaine or meth, mm-hmm. that are not planning, other than maybe taking a line or being right. a casual user, not planning exactly. to die that evening. Exactly, exactly. So, so what we've started is um, a fentanyl. Good. Te- Harm reduction. That's Harm reduction, was, uh, right. That's what I was So, yeah, so uh, we started a fentanyl test strip distribution uh, program, right? What, what, what is that? So test fentanyl strip? test strips are basically urine analysis strips, right, that you would see in a treatment center or so on, right? But they can also be used to test your product, right? And so what, what you do is... Is it something you pee on? What is, no, you don't pee on it. So okay. what you do is you take a sample of your product, just a little bit, you dilute it with water, right? Um, you dip the stick in um, to, a, to a blue line, and if it uh, there's a, there's a one or two red lines that will show up on the strip, right? One line means it tests positive for fentanyl. Two lines means that it uh, it tests negative for fentanyl. So right. if you've got these strips and you right. come up with one line, you know this is laced with fentanyl. You don't yeah. know the dosage. You don't, you don't know. know the, no, there's no way to know the dosage, right? But you just know that it's present. And it's there. Yeah. So they've been doing this in San Francisco, and they have found that 78% of the meth that they tested tested positive for fentanyl. That's crazy. Yeah. And 68% tested a uh, 68% of cocaine tested positive for fentanyl. So what that means is that whoever's manufacturing the drugs and their right. savory characters, they're, mm-hmm. ju- they're just lacing a yeah, lot of right, the product right. with fentanyl to give yeah. it an extra added boost. Right, right. And it's really interesting. I, you know, um, uh, it's, I, I can show this to you, but it's hard to see it on radio, of course. Yeah, you can't right? see it at all. Yeah, right? But th- um, the, the, you know, we have images at the center in, in our posters and so on that show what a, what a lethal dose of heroin is and what a lethal dose of fentanyl is, right? And when I first saw this, I said, wait, that's just sort of scraps that are in, might be in somebody's bag, right? It's that powerful, right? And um, even touching it, you can feel the effects of it, so... Yeah. Well, this is really, really dangerous stuff. So right. these strips that uh, that you've acquired, mm-hmm. uh, where'd the center get them and how can other yeah. communities get them? And because so, um, reality is, people are going to use drugs. Right? Right. They're going to just reality, gay yeah. or straight. They're just going to use drugs, especially right. if they're young or they're old and they're experimental. Mm-hmm. So they may as well test to make sure that what they're using. Right, exactly. And and we've had a lot of positive results from people. Like we've had people that their product has tested positive for fentanyl, and they made the decision not to use it. Right, right. right. And we've had people that have like you know, tested their drugs and they tested negative, and they're like. You know, okay. So um, there's a there's a, a company out of Canada. It's called BTNX, and um, we order the strips um, from them. They're about a dollar each, but we give them for out for free at the center. Mm. And um, we started last year. In the first year, we've distributed about nine thousand strips. Uh, Throughout the center in all of its its locations, and uh, we need to go to commercial. Break, oh, sure. but let's let's pick it up right here sure. when we come back. You're listening to Mike Rizzo from the LA LGBT Center. We're talking about fentanyl overdoses here on Sidebar with John Duran on Channel Q. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launcher online shop stage 
to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Podcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odyssey podcast. Talking to Mike Rizzo from the Los Angeles LGBT Center uh, about uh, harm reduction in fentanyl. Mm-hmm. And if you're just tuning in, this is a really disturbing conversation <laughs> yeah. we're having. Okay. And I guess I'm yeah. a little sensitive to it because I've had a few friends die of overdoses right. in the right. past year. And yeah. I didn't even think about fentanyl. I just right. thought, right. how do you overdose on meth is yeah, what it, I thought. It's, it's not something you hear a lot of, right? right? And, right. and usually um, people that are overdosing on meth, it's because of a combination of drugs, right? right. You, know, you know, a few years ago it was GHB, right? People use right meth and GHB at the same time. Um, and now, you know, I mean, you know, the difference is you, you know you're using GHB, but, you know, you do a line of meth and you don't know, you actually don't know what's in it. You know? All right, so we got to get these, it sounds like, these right. strips, these right. testing strips. Out. Mm-hmm. Not against a law to have a testing no. strip, right? No. No. Against a law to have fentanyl. Right. It's against a law to have cocaine or against a law right. to have meth, all right. these drugs, but yeah. not to have the testing strips. Right, right. They're about a dollar, you said. They're about a dollar. And so we have just, actually just purchased in January about 20,000 strips, right? Mm-hmm. So, And we have a really aggressive distribution program coming as we head into it, starting with the white party. Um, and we will table at the, Los Angeles LGBT Center in the lobby as well as Center WeHo and um, we'll, we'll have strips available. We have them available throughout the entire center, all eight locations, right? Um, center WeHo, which is our sexual health department, uh, our clinic, our pharmacy. What's really cool about what's happening in the pharmacy, if you come in and ask for a fentanyl strip, the pharmacist actually comes out and talks to you about fentanyl and um, how to use the strip and so on. Right. Um, again, you know, obviously we have them in mental health uh, we have in youth services so they're they're readily available at the center no questions asked we don't you know we don't assess for it we don't do anything if you want a fentanyl strip or a couple of strips we'll 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 give them to you and I guess they have to almost by definition be given out anonymously because you don't yep. want to keep track or record of people who are admitting no. that they're using no. unlawful narcotics. Yeah, when you start putting up those barriers, p- people that are using drugs are like, I, I don't want to be known. I don't want to, you know, so right, they, right. Not, they won't come in. You yeah. know, they won't come in and get what the, the, the tool that might save their life, you know. Yeah. Wow. This is really, really serious stuff. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, uh, we were just talking about Clean Needles Now over the break. Uh, Renee Edgington was the founder of Clean Needles Now. Mm-hmm. I was her lawyer. And, uh, of course, during the early days of the HIV epidemic, right. we knew that IV drug users were sharing needles, right. sharing right. heroin but mm-hmm. they, and meth, but yeah. they were passing HIV along yeah. to one another. Yeah. Yeah, so. and 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 you know there there's been numerous studies that show that actually you know clean needle programs actually prevent the spread of HIV. You right. Know? And so um, so we actually have a collaboration uh, with what what was known as Clean Needles now is now called uh, LA Community Health Project, and they park their van in our parking lot on Thursday nights and on Sunday night. And again, you can and they'll actually distribute Narcan as well, right? So if uh, if you'd like to get some Narcan, um, and they have fentanyl strips as well, uh, if that's if that's how you'd like to do it, um, you can go to their van and just say, "Okay, can I get a couple of doses of Narcan, and they'll give it to you again, no questions asked." Um, Is the LAPD or the LA County Sheriff? Are they aware you're doing this? Are they resistant to it? No, are well, they I, turning yeah. a blind eye to it. I think I think that sort of the trend right now as it relates to law enforcement is like we'd rather we'd rather. Uh, you kind of move towards prevention and treatment, you know, and so you know, um, with with these sort of things, you know, I, it's it's really interesting. For every dollar that's spent 
on prevention and treatment saves six dollars in societal costs you know so um you know it, it's sort of like yeah these these programs are really effective and really worthwhile and um uh they they do, do a lot of wellness to the community you know so uh we don't we don't have any problems with the police and and so on in regards to uh them intervening with with the van or or the work that we're doing so hmm. you know you know, I'm thinking uh, kind of the big picture here. At some point, we may have, if this thing takes off, these fentanyl strips, right. have to introduce legislation to exempt them or make them immune as evidence that can be used yeah. against somebody right. who's on probation or parole and not yeah. supposed to be using drugs. Right. You know, because if, if a probation officer discovers these strips right. in somebody's apartment, they could mm-hmm. say, aha, you must be using drugs yeah. Yeah. to have these strips. Right. But we don't want people to lose their lives. No. Right? I, we want it, treatment. Yeah. We want treatment. I, I mean, you know, it's really interesting because... Because um, what harm reduction says, one of the principles of it is like, you know, we can either we can say, oh, bad drugs, oh, and shake our fingers at it and shame and blame and all of that stuff, or we can say, look, we know that it exists, we know it's happening, right? And so we know that you're going to use drugs, and so we'd rather teach you how to use in safer ways so that you don't lose your life, right. and that at some point when you decide that that the drug's no longer working for you, you can get the help that you need. And we're there ready. Yeah. We're ready for you. Yeah. And we had you the same thing, of course. You know this, because you and I went through this path together, but around safer sex around HIV. Yeah, right. You know, people were going to have sex in the middle of a plague, so we had to talk about safer sex. Right. Yeah, right. Harm reduction. And, and, you know, and, and with HIV, it keeps growing, you know, with, prep and pep and you know all of anything we can do to prevent the spread of it so hmm. you know and anything that we can do to reduce the harm of someone using substances are know. other uh, centers using uh, fentanyl strips or well, is the LA I, actually, pioneering we're, we're the only ones that are doing it right now and we have distributed um, strips to uh, APLA as well as, as uh, Safe Refuge and um, if anybody you know needs strips they can they can certainly come to us and and uh uh, obtain them. So again, we just ordered twenty thousand, and you know, from from a personal standpoint, I'd rather people have them than not have them. Right. You know, any information about this on the center's website or anywhere if people needed more research or um, we we've been we've been posting a lot in social media. Okay. Um, I don't think it's on on the website, but again, it's it's you know we've created uh, marketing material um, that's posted throughout the center and so on and. Um, you know, things like this are really helpful in terms yeah. of promoting that we have these available. And, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think we need to, you know, I, my council office in West Hollywood has been very interested in working mm-hmm. with you okay. to get these strips right. out all over greater Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that I think there's a huge opportunity. And, um, you know, uh, the more organizations we can get involved and in really, um, really to push this forward and, and just sort of like, look, you know, we, we we know it's going to happen, and and what's again, you know, what's what's really, um, what's really upsetting for me is 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 that because at the center with these strips, we're tar- targeting the casual users, right? We're talking to the people that, you know, yeah, really periodically might you know, you know, do a line with a friend and whatever, and again doesn't mean that someone should lose their life over it, you know. So right. yeah. so maybe places that sell like condoms, poppers, yeah. and things like that should have these strips available. Absolutely. Like Absolutely. Block party on yeah, Santa Monica should, Boulevard. They, sh- they should have the condoms and the fentanyl strips right next to each other. Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Well, Mike, we're winding down to the last minute. Okay. Anything else you want to say in summary before we say goodbye to you? Uh, uh, no, I just, again, that the strips are available. Um, we're, we're, we're going to be um, out there. We're, you know, we... Um, we're one of the producers of Sizzle, which is the alcohol-free space at, at Pride, and uh, we will have a fentanyl booth there as well that people can come up and you know grab some strips during Pride and uh, hopefully have a, a safer safer Pride. That's yeah. awesome. Mike Rizzo yeah. from the LGBT Center in Los Angeles, thank you for doing God's work preventing yeah, overdoses. You. We appreciate yeah. it. You hope you'll come back. Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
Dirk Daner is in the house. Dirk Daner, uh, the Tom of Finland Foundation. Welcome, Dirk. Well, thank you, yeah. John. So nice to have you here. You and I have known each other a real long time. I was trying to figure out how many years, at least 20. I think longer. Yeah. I yeah. think I know. longer. <laughs> I hate to say it, maybe 30, a long, long time. Yeah, I think the first time we came together was when we had some uh, business concerns with Tom and I. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. He was still alive. He died in the early 90s. 91. Yeah. 91. Yeah. So let's stop. And for the listeners who are listening, we have a lot of millennials sure. who are listening on radio.com they may not know what Tom of Finland is in the LGBT well world. you know the interesting thing is what is Tom of Finland is it is it a type of uh, drawing is it a person is it what it is and uh, in fact it's both because uh, he's a phenomena in that he uh, he's a man that uh, grew up in Finland and he uh, wanted to actually make a difference uh, in in trying to elevate the self-esteem of homosexuals. And so in the mid-1950s, he uh, entered into the publishing uh, market and his work started to actually be circulated and he influenced us and raised our self-esteem and gave us uh, a sense of pride and, and freedom. I saw a documentary at Outfest about his life. I Maybe it was the year before last or last year. But I mean, if people, because I actually bought a straight friend to introduce him to what it was all about. Exactly. And Tom of Finland really presented hyper-masculinity as an option yeah. for gay men. Because prior to that, it was all about poof or fairy. And, and so the feminine aspects of our culture was rising. Nothing wrong with it. But right. there was no presentation on the hyper So what had happened is actually society had uh, denied us that opportunity to actually develop and choose that as an option as far as in our own development. And so what he did is he just opened up the playing field and gave us more choices that we could pick and select from. Right. And so it was about freedom. Yeah, so it was about leather to go with the lace because we had plenty yes. of lace. So yes. The drag queens really occupied the space called lace. Yes. But Tom of Finland allowed us to occupy the space called leather. And you know, sometimes... Uh, I mean, I've had individuals say, well, he represents a heterosexual masculinity, and he doesn't. I mean, his masculinity that he portrayed is, is so over-the-top masculine right. that it was really, it was, it was a way to really show what we can become, what we want to be, what we can manifest. Right. And it was, again, it's always a, comes down to freedom. Well, and it was considered obscene material at one time, right? To well, nail this in the US not mail? even that long ago. I mm. mean, the thing is, that we've been around for 35 years as a foundation nonprofit, and we've had to uh, have a lot of discrimination against played on us, even by our own community, mm. because they uh, they wanted to uh, feel like they felt like the works were dirty, that they were not proud of them, they wouldn't want to display them. Right. You know, they would, and, and so it really was about Tom never ever allowing himself to be shamed. And, and always being proud of what he was doing. Yeah. yeah. I remember in the early days of the gay pride parades in the early 70s, people would complain, oh, they always show either the drag queens or the leather guys. And with it's like, bare ass. Yes, that's what they would say. <laughs> and we would say, well, that is in fact what pushes people's buttons. The yeah. whole idea of men acting either effeminate yes. or men acting hyper-masculine yeah. pushes people's yes. buttons. And you know, the problem uh, that our, we faced as a society, as a culture, as a community is that uh, to to make room for all of those extremes because the fact is that if we don't then we start to become very controlled and limited in regards to um, to how we can be expressed and right. how we express ourselves and that's what the foundation stands for it stands for you know when we have emerging artist competitions we have one rule, and only one rule, and that is that they can't have sold any of their erotic art prior to entering the contest. No other rules, because we feel like society has gotten so many rules. It's true. What we want is to free free it up. Well, yeah, Cincinnati are trying to banish Robert Maplethorpe's work, obviously. Yep. And, and, and historically, any presentation of sex in the arts has met with some degree of government oppression. Yes. Especially in music, but also in the visual arts, yes. which is what Tom of Finland is all about. You know, that, and really, you don't really see it uh, until you really start to explore it and how, how controlled we really are. And so I really, when I entered the, the gay culture, 
I was so happy because it was about freedom mm-hmm. and about that I could be, you know, a drag queen said to me at a bar when I was just like 21, she said, so what's up with you? And, and uh, I said, well, I've sort of come to San Francisco to find myself. And she snapped those fingers and she <laughs> said, honey, you can be anything that you want to be. <laughs> and uh, and that, I really took her to heart, you know. What year was that? Did you? Uh... That was like 1970, 1971. 71. Yeah, yeah, 71 yeah. in San Francisco. Yeah. So Stonewall just happened yeah. two years prior, and there you were in San Francisco. Yes. Did you ever meet Jose Saria? Wasn't he the big drag queen yes. in San Francisco? Yes. That ran in for fact, mayor. you know what? I, I wonder, I can't connect all the dots, but the, the dots sometimes finally get connected. It could have been him who was standing yeah. beside me at the it, Eagle that it, night. It probably could have been, yeah. A very famous drag queen in San Francisco that uh, went on to run for mayor. Right. Even before Harvey Milk did, yes. he ran for mayor in, in San Francisco. As you have. And, and have been on for 20 years. Yes. Yeah, but West Hollywood's a little more tame than I think San Francisco in the 70s. Well, you know, that is true. And West Hollywood has been very good to the foundation over the years and, and has given us opportunities and places to have our our uh, art fairs and that. Um, but the other part of it is that, oh gosh, I just hope that it doesn't get too conservative and too controlled because if it does, that's really where it all starts to fall apart, you know, and die. You know, the thing is that that's the thing about our, our culture. Our culture is really fragile and we have to protect it. And how we protect it is making sure that we don't get so controlled that that we lose our spontaneity you know right. i had to we had to take the uh, art fair back to our house because uh, at, at tom house because we realized that it had lost its life force mm. and so we had to start feeding it again and nurturing it wow. we are uh, going to take a quick commercial break here but uh, when we come back we're going to continue to talk to dirk daner from the tom of finland foundation uh, here on sidebar with john duran on the new channel q Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back, gang. Uh, if you're just tuning in, we are talking to Dirk Daner from the Tom of Finland Foundation. He brought me a gift, a beautiful uh, book from the foundation. I'm gonna... My Gay Eye. Yes. Is that what that means in German? I love yes. that. Yes. That is really, really, yeah. really cool. Thank yeah. you. You. We were talking over the break about um, when Tom of Finland came up against uh, ACT UP and Queer Nation in the 80s and early 90s. Yep. So they weren't really happy with Tom. Why? Well, they weren't happy because they, uh, they just looked at his work superficially and felt like it was uh, it was imitating heterosexual male masculinity and they didn't look deeper into it and and the thing is that what Tom wanted is he wanted his men to be masculine number one because masculinity was the thing that was being denied us we, we, we didn't have any positive uh, examples of of homosexual masculinity it didn't exist right and uh, so it, that was one thing and the other thing is that he wanted his men to be so overtly homosexual he wanted them to be completely just right into each other no latent no passive thing about it well and that's true they had curves everywhere yes. had, all the drawings had curves like you couldn't so imagine. he said I, I, I want to make sure that nobody can misinterpret my work as being anything other than homosexual yeah and I've noticed that over the years at, at Erotic City at the Gay Pride yes. Festival in Los Angeles a lot of Tom's work is there but there's also erotic imagery of women and lesbians and, and now trans people so Yes. It's not like some of these images are just exclusive to gay men. So, exactly. And what we do is we nurture, we feel that society is a healthier place by the presence of erotic art within it. And that that it it makes a more sane society and a more tolerant society. Right. Now, you're you're a really smart guy because I've known you a long time. The current mood in the country around Me Too and sexual harassment... You think this is going to end up coming square up against some of the principles or values of Tom of Finland or the, the presentation of Absolute. sexual expression? I mean, the thing about it is that it is already. 
And so the thing is that what we have to do as a culture, as a community, is that we have to really look and see what are our values, not society's values, but what are our values. And of course we want to respect each other. And in fact, the thing is that what we do more than society is we're so inclusive. Right. And and that's that's our nature, sometimes to our own detriment. LGBTQ squared, IA, yeah. uh, on and on and, and on. That's we're just, very inclusive. That's our nature. That is our and answer. so the thing about it is that as new individuals come into our, our, our community and we don't have quite the way of passing on indigenous societies, they pass it on by, by contact. But we have not had that contact over the last 10 years. And so they come in and all they know is what society outside is talking about, you know, and and it has purpose. There's purpose. Women need to have liberation and, and, and respect and opportunity. And so... But within our own culture, what gave us freedom in the early days, the freedom to be able to actually say yes, to say no, to say uh, please, you know, and, and to enjoy all of that. I mean, I'm sort of sad that the whole thing of cruising, which has been such a pleasure in my life. It's an art form. <laughs> yes, has that in fact, it's not being passed on. Right. And in fact, it's, it's, it's really one of the pleasures of being able to really let somebody know that, mmm, you are delicious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I tell, I tell them it's before grinder and scruff, before you could meet people on the instrument in your hand, yes. you had to actually physically go to yes. a bar and look at somebody yes. and get attention and figure out how to start an interaction. Which is really worrisome for me because if we don't have the physical opportunity to actually explore that and to get I mean how terrified we are you know sometimes but it's really about interrelationship right and so I don't know I don't know what I I think that what I must say that at the Tom House it is a it's a it is a, a place of freedom people come there and they don't want to leave because they feel so at home and you know, there's very few places in the world that we as a community can call ours. Tell us about the Tom House. Tom House is over by Echo Park, it's right? It's in Echo Park, uh-huh. and it's a 1910 house that Tom lived in uh, over the 80s, and it's where I've lived since uh, the beginning of the 80s, and it's a, a, a house that's full of art, it's a celebration to erotic art, it's got all hundreds and hundreds of different artists. And it's open in, to the public, public yes, can come. we and give tours, uh, you just have to make a reservation this yeah. Sunday we have an open house from 11 to 4 and uh, and also uh, we have drawing classes we have uh, teas we have all sorts of community activities that happen there and uh, and I it is going to live on past me, and it is now part of the L.A. Uh, Cultural and Historic Monuments. It's number 1135. So That's it's, awesome. It's really the only um, uh, LBGTQ active site in L.A. that has been given that status. And it's a nonprofit, too. And it's People a nonprofit. People should be supporting the yes. foundation. Well, see, I've, done, I've held on, and I've carried it forth, to, and I'll be gone in the relatively soon and the thing is that the deal is now I've taken care of it this far now our our community needs to take you know yeah, step up and, and take make care sure of it, it continues because it's it's a treasure and the thing is it's not just a treasure from the past it's so amazing how young creatives and artists from residency programs are coming and staying there and just really really blossoming so it's really something about the now also. yeah that's really you know we've got the June Mazer lesbian archives in West Hollywood yep. and I always forget the Tom of Finland archives are in Echo Park yep. right right down the and, freeway I mean LA is a rich rich place and let's remember that Stonewall was not the first. It's it's fine for us to celebrate it. I know, but the first uh, I tell rebellion every week. I tell this people yeah. every week. There was life before 1969. Those drag queens were throwing donuts downtown. Yeah, yeah they were uh, black cat and yeah. and the donut Randy's donuts. Yes. yes, that's right. Here in Los Angeles, yeah. but even before that, I mean, gay people were meeting in the 1940s yes. out of World War II. Yeah, and that's where a lot of these images of sailors and military come from. Well, you know, Tom, uh, and this is about the. Sometimes it's about sexuality, and the thing is that he really loved 
being a sexual being and 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 even so even though he was down in the trenches as it were he also was right up there wanting to make a difference oh, that's amazing Jerk, that's who we are I want to have you back again so don't go kicking the can quite yet okay. alright I need you a few more times on the show because I really enjoyed our conversation well today. read uh, My Gay Eye enjoy it it's I, a celebration of us I will thank you that's Dirk Dana from the Tom of Finland Foundation thanks for tuning in to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Next guest, Eric Esquerdo, who's here from New York City. Welcome, Eric. Thank you so much for having me, And your bud, Eric Christensen, who's here with us, too, here in Los Angeles. Welcome, Eric and Eric. This is going to be confusing. I've got two Erics here as guests. (laughs) But, uh, Eric, what's fascinating to me about you is you are a very young millennial, yes. Sure am. That loves disco. Yes. How did that happen? Oh, my God. Um, So, I moved to New York five and a half years ago, and I just grew to really love disco. I... um, was really into kind of like indie psychedelic rock stuff like of Montreal like you know through my middle school and high school angsty years and um, when it came to discover house music when I was like 16, 17 uh, going to Ultra just because I really wanted to see The Cure which believe it or not headlined Ultra back in like 2007 um, I just really fell in love with house music and uh, yeah and moving into New York um, just had really had the opportunity to go to some really cool venues and I saw you know the magic of disco and you know oddly enough just not only in LGBT venues but also um, a lot of straight venues which I mean honestly anything that is good in nightlife has like a very strong queer edge so I'd hate to say you know it's just like the straight clubs that I went to that um, <laughs> you know had um, you know the pumping disco that definitely wasn't true but it was very easy to see the influence of disco especially across um, house music and uh yeah. And now you're a DJ and you play a lot of these clubs, right? Yeah. Like the, um, yeah. Wh- where do you play in New York? So um, right now I have three residencies, three and a half residencies pretty much. Um, I do every Tuesday at Playwick Club. Um, it's a backgammon night from 7 Eleven, super chill, um, but very fun. Um, you'll still see me actually catching, you know, spinning some disco there. Um, just very, very relaxed. Um, I play the box once a week between Thursdays and Saturdays. Um, super wild club. Anything goes. Um, you'll see me playing like a uh, house disco and techno there. And, um, and then finally, I do Love Prism pretty much every month. The next one is um, Friday, May 17th. And um, it is a night of UK house and disco, and it is absolutely fabulous. So shout out to our listeners in New York, because New York is one of our yeah. media markets. So everybody in New York, come see Eric Iscardo. Now, I, I have to ask you, because you weren't even alive when disco was around yeah. last time, right? I mean, yeah, I, that's true. I was alive, but none of you. I don't think any of you, including Jason, my producer, were alive in the 70s when disco was around. W- what is it that is uh, so enthralling or enticing, you think? Oh, man, it started definitely with the baseline, but you know, here's the thing. It, there's no mystery as to, like, why uh, we love disco so much. It's been sampled so widely and been such a huge part of mainstream music. You really will not believe it. I mean, even today, I'll stumble upon some old disco track. And I'm like, you're kidding me. Like, that one line, that one bass line, that kick, that everything, you know was here all along like you know I thought that was you know an original you thought you know, Katy voice. Perry just got kind of created that I see I got Katy Perry this time Jason. oh my I god I forgot Katy Perry's name in the last hour so <laughs> yeah, you got yeah. it now that's all that matters okay cool <laughs> yeah um but you know what I thought was just some like weird vocal track for example with like um there was this uh fake blood track there was like this old um you know like EDM producer that was like kind of big around 2009 and um, you know the song was called I Think I Like It but um, it sampled this old disco track which turned out to actually be like Arabesque's um, Heat of the Disco Night and I was just like this is awesome and then I listened to Arabesque for like three weeks because super gay. 
Well, <laughs> after our commercial break, I asked Jason here to line up Abba's The Visitors, because you told me you've never heard The Visitors, and oh I think God, when right. you hear The Visitors, you're going to have a new kick line for yeah. you to take back to New York with yeah. you. Yeah, oh my God, I don't want to admit that I haven't heard an Abba yeah. song on the radio. I, I, know. <laughs> I know, I know you're not a big fan of Abba, but this no, is- No, I'm a, a huge this, fan. Oh, you are a huge yeah, fan. Yeah, I am. I this love This is Abba. an obscure song called The Visitors. It's yeah. queued up and ready to go, it, it, so. Yeah, uh, what, maybe, can we play it now, too, or? No, uh, we got to wait, we got to wait. Oh, we'll wait, we'll wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But The Visitors was this song. It's a song about somebody who's basically overdosing, okay? Yeah. But it was the song at the at 145 at Studio One. They'd play it every weekend as wow. the final song so the boys could all like go home. Yeah. So it just, it's just a magical song. Yeah, yeah. Now, why are you here in Los Angeles? Just visiting your friend Eric Christensen over here? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for me, um, I first visited uh, LA back in November of last year and I had such a great time, the sunshine, the boys, the everything, so much fun. Um, and it's such a really big, like, difference in nightlife between New York and LA yeah. and um, and it's just like something that's very refreshing and I you know I'm starting a new job because uh, I also do a, I have a day job as well and um, I just had a couple weeks to relax so I decided to head on over and you're a Cuban boy from Florida originally. I am and Eric Cuban. you're from Idaho aren't you or some crazy place like that yeah father's from Idaho but my mother's from Beijing so I oh, wow. grew up all over the world to traveling sort of as they uh, moved around and did business but uh, you know it was very for me growing up in international schools a lot of my friends being European very quickly exposed to house music um, and actually trance and a lot of that uh, fabulous European music that a lot of my American classmates in the in these schools didn't really listen to but my European classmates European friends did hmm. so it was a really great introduction that's how I connected with Eric in New York yeah, and you guys met in, in New York? Yeah. At, yeah, at a yeah. club, or what happened? Yeah. Um, very uh, unglamorous club industry. But we just bonded over music, and I loved Eric's sound. He really uh, pushed disco and very diva vocal house at a lot of venues that I think were known to play. Even hip hop sometimes. Okay, yeah, you guys yeah. both stand. You're both like six foot three, right? <laughs> Are you both six three? I mean, six one, but I got boots. Six on. one with boots. <laughs> six, the six three with boots. And Eric, how tall are you? Six three. Yeah, so you guys kind of stand out when you walk yeah. into a room. You both stand out, <laughs> yeah. and you met in the club and just said, yeah. "Let's be friends." Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Wow. As many people do. As many people yeah. do. Well, and Eric is also really easy to talk to. Yeah. You know, there's a reason that he's uh, all. Everyone knows him in New York City nightlife. <laughs> well, so. he, one, he's adorable and yeah. tall, and he's the DJ. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, who is your favorite disco artist? If you had to, or name maybe a few. We shouldn't limit it yeah. to one because it's okay. So right now, it's not going to be like a classic disco artist, but I really like what Purple Disco Machine is doing. Um, he is. I would be lying if I knew exactly where European DJ, but I can't go a set without playing one of his remixes. It's um, so, so, so amazing. But if we're talking about like the classics, I mean like, I know it's super vanilla, but Diana Ross is so You know, so uh, there's good. nothing vanilla about yeah, Diana yeah. Ross. She's a I, goddess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, she she's so fantastic, and she has so many amazing songs. Just like, I'm Coming out. out, and yeah. Uh, yeah, some of those, yeah. yeah. And the remixes are great, too. Yeah. 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 Um, we've been bumping the Dimitri from Paris remix of The Boss, and that's been, I mean, those dramatic disco moments are what makes me, like, just... Love disco. Yeah. You know, stop the dance floor and bring the disco strings in. The queen of disco, of course, was Donna Summers. Donna yeah. Summers was the yeah. head. And when she sang Love to Love You, Baby, mm -hmm. I mean, there are people practically having intercourse on the dance yeah. floor, right? Yeah. I mean, when Love to Love You, Baby came on, and there was this entire dance that Donna Summers did with the gay male community because it yeah. was before HIV and AIDS. It was before, you know, the beginning of gay liberation. Yeah. And here was our diva, yeah. Donna Summers. And then she went through a born again Christian phase and yeah. we lost our diva for mm -hmm. a little bit you know yeah and before she died i think she somewhat reconciled yeah with a lot of gay a lot of her gay friends but she was a star at uh geffen records uh was it casablanca not casablanca but on the sunset strip in west hollywood yeah in geffen's uh building there at sunset in doheny wow. she was one of the big headliners for david geffen he kind of discovered her and took her and made her donna summers yeah incredible yeah, yeah. And I think you touched on something really great, which is kind of like the history of the LGBT uh, community with uh, with disco. I mean, just like during the AIDS epidemic, how right. thumbs, uh, 
I really didn't want to say Houston, Thelma Houston's. Um, oh no, we love Thelma know. Houston. Yeah, her, I will her survive. Anthem. Yeah, yeah. The anthem, and, uh, one of the most sung songs, yeah, uh, karaoke bars yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All so. right, we got to go to commercial break. When we come back, we're going to intro in with the visitors. Maybe Jason will play it a little longer, but the visitors by ABBA, and we'll see if you like it. All right, all right. Sounds okay. good. Thanks for tuning in here at Channel Q. We're talking to Eric Esquerdo, uh, a visiting uh, DJ from New York City, and his friend Eric Christensen here in Los Angeles about the club scene. How did you start becoming a DJ, Eric? Oh, my God. So, um, Not like you woke up one day and said, hey, I think I'll be a DJ. Yeah, it was really tough. So, I mean, like... Um, as soon as I went to Ultra, I knew I wanted to be a DJ, and you know, like I, I wanted is, to get into this Ultra? stuff. Ultra is like a big, huge um, music festival in Miami, which is where I'm from okay. um, originally. And um, and like I said, the first one I went to was just because the cure was on. I was like, oh my god, this is what house music is like. It's amazing, and uh, it was so difficult, kind of like getting pointed in the right direction because it's not like you know today where you like go to Best Buy and you have like you know twenty different like you know CD. DJ models that you can uh, mess around with and um, like get your bearings. It was like really like a little bit more obscure. Now it's like obscure. It's like you know like you know having vinyl you know and uh, and record players and like with the mixer right. But um, you know um, still quite a bit of a challenge. Had um, you know attended the local DJ night over at my college town. Um, had those guys teach me how to DJ uh, but when I moved to New York uh, the first person that really gave me a residency was Kayvon Zand um, who at the time was you know doing a lot of nightlife productions um, my first residency was at Hitchcock Disco it was every Tuesday at uh, Rumpus Room over in Lower East Side hmm. and um, it was a really weird night I mean like we you know it was like kind of like hard electronic music and then like I had but we saw all these queens like voguing on the dance floor and we had like the like runway moment it was like so wild and like kind of like unique because we had like pretty much like electro house and like all these like you know queens from the bronx coming in and like <laughs> voguing it was like so wild <laughs> um but uh from there i just like kind of started producing my own parties um i met this london-based dj caper who was the um, uh london box resident DJ for five years. She was on BBC Radio 1. Um, she's like playing Neon Carnival at Coachella every year. And um, she got me the residency over the box, which was really important for me because that gave me a lot of leverage and um, over other venues. Cause it's like, oh, you know, it's a very prestigious venue around New York City. Um, if you can play the box, you can play anywhere, right? And also the box gave me the creative freedom to start including disco my sets, to start, you know, going into like crazy techno stuff in the middle of the night and um and it was just so amazing and i've had like famous djs come up to me and be like your set was crazy and it's like i can't believe you're talking to me right now (laughs) (laughs) you know um so um that's been really special and most recently you know i've really just fallen in love with the party uh love prism it's uh thrown by ty sunderland who's doing heaven on earth tonight if anyone's in new york city um and it is such like a great party because it's um, just the three of us. It's Ty Sunderland, myself, and Sebastian Villa, um, who are really doing a party for the right reasons. We really want to, you know, have a space where we can have boys from pretty much every segment of LGBT nightlife. Some from like you know circuit party queens to just like queer people in crazy looks to club kids to like activists, people who are just you know like yuppies that want to go to like a fun disco party and kind of like connect with their LGBT roots and um, you know it's definitely the only party where you're going to see like Ariana Grande's vocals overlaced over uh, put over a Frankie Knuckles track right and it's um, <laughs> such a cool space and uh, it's at $3 bill um, like I said the next one is uh, May 17th on a Friday um, every Love Prism is themed after a color so you're just encouraged to wear that color uh, May 17th will be purple June 14th which is also Friday will be pink pink so, for pride yeah yeah pride month. Right. so um, yeah and in addition to that um, I'm also doing a party uh, called uh, Blantrage Low Lights thrown by a pretty new group of guys um, and that'll be uh, uh, April 19th at Concept which is a brand new bar over in Lower East Side so yeah. You sound like you're doing what I was doing in my 20s. Of course, <laughs> now I'm in my 50s, and I'm in bed by 10 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like down for the count. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, that's fantastic. That's yeah. really, really great. So I, I have to ask you, are you single? Are you like the popular DJ all over New York City? I'm single, yeah. <laughs> okay. but are you 
A lot of boys come up and want to. Do they throw their underwear at you? I don't. I don't know what happens You'd to the surprised. DJ. You know, I, I think you know. We were chatting about this the other day. You know, like guys, you know, see a DJ and they see someone at work and they probably don't want to bother him. So I mean, that's what I'll tell myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're by yourself in your headsets up there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But as Eric's friend, standing next to him in the DJ booth, often you know people <laughs> do come up, talk to him, and then after the party, always want to pick his brain yeah. about music and so. take him to the next party. So yeah. you know, maybe. I would say it's popular. He's being humble. Yeah, he is being humble. You know, I'm amazed at how much attention uh, and celebrity status DJs have. Because back in my day, in the actual disco era of the 70s, nobody knew who was spinning the records. They yeah. were just, you know, playing the vinyl up there. Yeah. Now you've got followings. You've got Twitter, people to follow you on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, Avicii, that, uh, did you ever know? Uh, oh, of course, of course. Yeah. yeah, that was so tragic, of course, yeah. when he uh, when he died. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, not surprising. Um you know, uh, and, and it's just something that's happening more and more in the music community where you see people like just not feeling open to talk about their mental health issues and they are so pressured to push themselves and push themselves because, you know, um, they're the DJ, they're the artist, the talent, but the careers of everybody that put them there is at stake and mm-hmm. these people don't have to exert themselves the way the same way that the artist does right and it creates a lot of pressure for the artist um and it's uh, kind of unfair and i think if you if you looked at the avici documentary you could see how everybody around them you know it was really exciting for them because they were working with the biggest dj on in the world at that moment right and um and they wanted to push him and milk him, right? Because, you know, they worked so hard to get where they were to be working with the biggest DJ in the world that it was like their time to, you know, so it's super unfair, but, you know, that's like my two cents. Do you yeah. uh, have some degree of editing or artistry as a DJ when you're playing or mixing sound? Um, there's skill, for sure, but, you know, I think the artistry comes in the music selection, right? Um, really just being able to string things that, you know, make sense together and, like, control the energy and the flow of the night. Right, um, I think that's the the most interesting component to it. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, you know, you have music production, if um, which is something I'm exploring, and I'm really excited because there are all these remixes remixes that don't exist yet that I want to make exist. So. Well, yeah. I hope the next time you're in Los Angeles, you'll pop by and come by and talk to us again. We'd love yeah. to have you come back. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. That's Eric Esquerdo, uh, New York City DJ. Uh, you're listening to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. Welcome back, gang. Wow, what, a, what an incredible day this has been. So many wonderful voices we got to hear from. James Wen from the Transgender community about the transgender day of visibility coming up and uh and then getting to visit with mike rizzo about fentanyl overdoses and what's happening to our lgbt people and straight allies who are overdosing on a drug that they don't even know is in uh their party supplies and unfortunately the work that we have to do to make sure that if people do choose to uh, use drugs recreationally, that they not end up as a overdose statistic. It's just heartbreaking. And I don't know about you all, but I've lost a couple of friends this year to overdoses, and, and they're very young, very young people overdosing and without getting to have the full benefit of a full and long and prosperous life. And it's just heartbreaking to have to lose a friend that way. And then Dirk Daner from uh, the Tom of Finland Foundation about the early days of the foundation and Tom's artistry and images and uh, paintings and drawings and where they're, <coughs> pardon me everybody, got that cold, where they're being housed. And then finishing off here with Eric Izquierdo, uh, DJ from New York City about millennials uh, recapturing the disco beat and enjoying the music of their LGBT ancestors who came before them when we used to dance to that music you know and i i gotta say out of all the uh because it was great talking to all these people today but um i think the comment that resonated with me most was made by dirk daner about lgbt culture being fragile you know i i had never heard of that and i told him as he was leaving the studio i said i'm gonna steal that because that's a really important observation you know it's estimated that LGBT people were only about 5% of the population. We used to say 10. We used to say 10. But the reality is we're probably closer to 5% of the population. So we are a minority, uh, as small as uh, the Jewish community in the United States. were, And we have a, because we're a small minority, we have a culture that belongs to ourselves that we are, 
<coughs> not only uh, creating now, but have created in the past. And so I just think it's important that as time marches on, that we uh, tend to and nurture our, our very fragile culture. Because if you think about it, 50 years ago, none of all this would have been possible. Channel Q would not have been possible. You know, Grinder and Scruff and dating apps and marriage equality and foster parenting and gay adoption, trans uh, ban in the military, you know, fighting for that. And, and everything that is in our current world, none of it would have been possible 50 years ago. And we, we had to create it from scratch. And, and uh, you know, because we were portrayed as something evil and something deviant, uh, and that kept us in the shame and the oppression of the closet. In order to uh, speak truth, we had to come out in, in all of our leather and lace and not be ashamed about it or hide it. And, you know, there was nothing more irritating to me anyway when people used to say, can't you hide the drag queens or hide the leather boys at the gay pride parades? No, we're not going to hide them. going to double down on them. Because that is part of what the whole movement is about. As Dirk explained, it's about freedom and freedom of expression and freedom to be whoever you want to be and to explore the outer parameters of your beingness, including your sexuality. And uh, that's what our movement has been all about. And so I know we're in a new world and I know that new boundaries and lines are being drawn from the Me Too movement to uh, the whole debate that we are having around race and class and gender. I understand that, but at the same time, I hope that we are very careful to preserve the culture that we created for our communities all across this nation, because our culture is as valid as the next culture. And we are a subculture within the general American culture, but we're a subculture that has really led to a lot of the brilliance and flamboyancy and uh, bejeweled and bespectacled parts of American culture. From the birdcage to Liberace to Tama Finland to the June Mazur archives, I mean, all of that is our contribution to American culture, and we shouldn't ever try to hide any of it. So how we maintain our culture in the midst of ever-changing socioeconomic and demographic changes happening not only in this country but in the world, that is the challenge for us. And uh, hopefully we don't lose it because I guarantee you other minority populations, they're going through the same thing, trying to protect their own ethnicities and their own heritages from getting uh, consumed into a culture that just wants to gobble up everything and make everybody exactly the same. Well, there's a, a great axiom which says that the highest degree of intolerance is the insistence that everybody be just like me. And to insist that everybody should think like me, act like me, uh, do the things I do, and not do anything differently than what I say and I do, that is intolerance at its height. And that is what leads to all forms of oppression. So... While we're out there fighting for LGBT rights and LGBT culture, I just think we need to leave plenty of room for individual expression, however that's going to display itself, with hyper-femininity or hyper-masculinity or non-binary or sexual fluidity. There's got to be room for all of those options in this LGBT culture. Uh, it's a big tent. It's a big tent, and hopefully we never point the finger at one another and attempt to shame or oppress one another, as was done to us. So I want to thank you for tuning in to Sidebar with John Durant again this Friday, and uh, we will see you next Friday, April the 5th, uh, where we'll have more wonderful guests popping by here to talk about LGBT history, politics, health, and culture on Sidebar with John Durant. Thank you for tuning in to the new Channel Q.